want to welcome you again. We're glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be together. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles for you underneath the chair in front of you. And so grab one of those or use your own or electronic device. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ruth 2. If you are using our church Bibles, you can turn to page 222 of Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to invite Karuna Thomas to come on up, and she's going to uh, read chapter 2 of Ruth for us. That begins on 222 of your church Bibles and ends on page 223, and we're going to read all of it. And so it's a little longer passage, but it is a beautiful story. And so hopefully the story itself captivates or captures your heart as we listen to God's Word. So let's give attention to God's Word as Karuna reads this for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Karuna. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your loving kindness that is all over our lives. Even this morning as you invite us into worship, as you forgive us and redeem us and cleanse us, as you desire to instruct us with your word, and even as we come to the table in a moment, Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, through your kindness, transform us and change us so that we might be able to show that kindness to others. Do that work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all experienced being in a pitch dark room where you can't see anything, right? And what do we all do when we're in a pitch dark room? You grab now what is your phone and you turn on your flashlight to be able to make your way through a dark room before your eyes adjust. Well, we live, my wife and I live in the basement of our home. And we, the one window that's in our basement in our bedroom is an egress window and we have blackout curtains that cover the window. And so when the lights are out, it is pitch dark. Like there is no room for our eyes to adjust to be able to see anything in that room. And we love it. <laughs> Even when the kids are awake, we just continue to sleep because there's nothing that will wake us up unless our alarms go off. Except I have this tiny little blue light that tells me that my phone is charging. It's the size is smaller than a raindrop. And when I'm in that room and the lights go off, that little tiny blue light just gives me enough to be able to make my way through that room so I don't stub my toe or run into furniture. The darkness is and can be overwhelming, right? That's why many kids are scared of the dark. And sometimes we don't have a tiny blue light to make our way through the darkness. If you don't know, some of us, or some of you may already know, but my family in this last month of July have experienced some real acute darkness. It's one where over a span of just one month, we had water rushing in through our egress window in our master bedroom twice. First time in July, fourth weekend when we had those crazy storms and many trees fall. And then just a month later, in the beginning of August, the same exact thing where water was rushing in to our basement. And in that moment, both times, especially the second time, 
all I could see was just complete darkness that just overwhelmed me. I mean, I, my wife and I are just trying to figure out what to do, and I'm going outside in the, during the second flooding of our basement, and I'm just trying to do whatever, dig ditches, trying to redirect the water from coming into our egress window, and I had some choice words for God. <laughs> it wasn't G-rated or even PG or PG-13. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was depressed. Because of just the futility that there was nothing I could do to stop that rain or water, muddy water, coming in to our house. The first time it happened, it was just Stephen and me, and I remember recording a video of watching this water come in. And Stephen's like, what do we do? How do we patch this? And I'm just like... I don't know. And, and I replay this video and I am so resigned. It wasn't even like anger anymore. I was just resigned and just depressed and sad that we could not stop this rain from coming in. There was no light that shed into those dark moments for us or for me. Those, tw- those two times when the water came in. I know as I share that story, some of us in this room are going through much darker situations right now and this doesn't even compare to what we've seen on the news in Maui or the global conflicts that are happening around the world or what even people are experiencing right now in LA as this Hurricane Hillary is making its way up the coast of California but how do we see the light in those moments where it just seems overwhelmingly dark well Naomi experienced this kind of darkness as well as we looked at last week right think of some of the biggest stressors in your life in one's life it's the loss of a spouse loss of a child having to relocate financial distress and poverty and Naomi and Ruth have experienced all of these stressors She loses, Naomi loses her husband. She loses her two sons. And she makes her way from Moab back to Bethlehem in Israel. Once a woman of stature and and influence, now coming broken with absolute loss in her life. That is darkness. That is a darkness where there is no blue light to shed our way through the path of agony and suffering. And Naomi's experience is this. So much so that she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You see that? That is darkness. There's no light shedding into her room and her life. And what I want us to see here as we look at chapter 2, as things begin to change, is that we are many in many ways like Naomi. That when we go through suffering and there is darkness, we cannot see any light. Or as we see in this passage today, often we struggle to put suffering and God's loving kindness together in our own stories. That was true of Naomi, but things begin to change. 
Now, there's a word in this story, in this book of Ruth, that really matters a lot. It's only said three times, but it's this word hesed. And it's, a, it's the title of my sermon today. And it is a powerful word that can't be described with just one word. Because it means so many things. But this word hesed is that loving kindness that we sometimes often struggle to see in the midst of the darkness. Hesed can be translated many times as kindness or mercy or loving kindness, loyalty or steadfast, unfailing love or covenant faithfulness. But there isn't just one word to translate it because there's so many things that it encapsulates. What I would say is it is all of the positive acts of devotion that flow out of a covenant relationship. That is hesed. And as we look at this story, what we begin to see is that Naomi finally sees God's hesed, God's light, the light that sheds, shines brightly into her darkness and her suffering. And whatever darkness that you have experienced, whatever darkness or suffering you are going through or will go through, the challenge is can we see God's hesed? And what I want to briefly do is just look at it in two ways. First, there's the hesed that is seen in this story, but there's also a hesed that is unseen. So let's first look at the hesed that is seen. And it's seen through two people. It's seen through Ruth, and it's seen through Boaz. First, let's look at Ruth. And what we see in Ruth, in this hesed, is that she is tenacious, she is a risk taker, and she is an initiator. But why this is so significant is she's a Moabite. And the narrator, storyteller, makes it very clear. In verse 2, if you read in verse 2, the writer says, And Ruth the Moabite said to, said to Naomi. In verse 6, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, as if we didn't know that she was from Moab as a Moabite, right? Then in verse 10, oh, man, my eyes are getting worse. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And in verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. You see that? The storyteller seems like she, this person is a horrible writer or author. But what the storyteller is doing is hitting us over the head saying that she is a Moabite. And what does that mean? That's significant. She's an enemy of Israel. This is in the context of judges, right? during a very dark period of Israel. And in chapter 3, the Moabites basically oppress Israel for 18 years until Ehud is raised up to deliver Israel out of the hands of Moab. And so it's like, you know, I watched Oppenheimer recently, and it reminded me of all those that were affiliated with the Communist Party, right? And those that were part of the Communist Party were scorned upon, were looked down upon, were brought charges against, why? Because they were part of the Communist Party on American soil. Or maybe a lighter note, if this makes any sense, is you go to a Cardinals game, 
right? And you see those Cubs fans wearing Cubs jerseys. And it's, they're not even playing the Cubs, right? They're on Cardinal soil wearing Cubs jerseys. See, I could relate with all of you as a Cubs fan. But that's the thing that's happening here. The author is trying to remind us that Ruth is a Moabite. She should lay low. She should be a wallflower in Bethlehem because she is enemy, number one. But what do we see? She is an initiator. She's a risk taker. She is audacious. She is tenacious. And how do we see that? She goes to the field and she asks the most audacious request to these people because she asks to glean, right? And when she asks to glean, she asks not just that she could glean, but that she would glean between those who would harvest and those that would bundle. Now, gleaning, what was that? That was basically the welfare system of Israel. God cared for the poor. God cared for the foreigner. God cared for the widow. And so what God did was he brought in this law for Israel that anytime you would harvest your field, you would not harvest all the way to the boundary lines of your fields. You would not pick up any grains that were left. You could not go back and pick that up because those were for those that were marginalized, who were poor. That was the welfare system of Israel because God cared for the poor. It's, it's like in today's age, think, or today's time, thinking about those when you see them in the, in the big dumpsters back at McDonald's or in the grocery stores. It's those that collect plastic bottles or aluminum cans to be able to collect and sell so that they could make a few dollars. And Ruth, being the tenacious Moabite, she asked them, as they gleaned, the harvesters, the men would come and cut as low to the ground as possible as they picked up the harvest grains and the wheat and barley. And then after they would cut it and leave it on the ground, women harvesters would come behind, gather it all, and bundle them together. And then it would be sent off to be harvested. And what Ruth asked is, can I be between the men and the women who bundle? And that's unheard of. Because for those who are poor, marginalized, they would have to wait until after the harvesters were done to be able to pick up the minuscule grains of barley that were available. But she, as a Moabite, an enemy, asked such an audacious request to go between these men and women to get as much as she could. Why? Because of her hesed for Naomi. Because of her loving kindness for Naomi, her mother-in-law. This was her request. And what happens? We're introduced to Boaz, the owner of this field. And the workers come and tell Boaz, this woman is asking this request, and, she, and he says yes. And he takes notice of her, and he's like, who is this woman that's there in the field? That's not one of my hired workers. Why is she gleaning right now? And as a worker tells them of who she is, tells him of who she is, she, he basically says, let her do what she has requested. Because Boaz has already heard of this Ruth, this daughter-in-law of Naomi who has made their way back to Moab. And his heart aches for Naomi and for Ruth. And she, he allows her to glean where she has asked. 
But not only that, what does he also do? He offers her drink, water. That was only for men in that time who were cutting the harvest. That was for them to drink as they would get tired, as they would get thirsty. But he tells Ruth, come and have water anytime you want. But it doesn't stop there. His hesed is that he also invites her during lunchtime to come with those who are working, who are his workmen and workwomen. And he invites her to join them at lunchtime. A cooked meal. He offers her. And he doesn't just offer her a little bit. He offers her enough that she is so full and satisfied that she takes the leftovers and packs it away so that she could take it back to Naomi. And while she goes back out into the harvest to continue to glean after lunch, she pull, he pulls, Boaz pulls over his coworkers or his employees and says, hey, as you bundle the harvest, take some out and throw it on the ground behind you and let her take it. This is the hesed of Boaz. This is the hesed of Ruth. This is what is seen. Are you seeing the light break into the darkness? It was Ruth's tenacious, audacious risk-taking to show hesed to Naomi. It was Boaz's hesed in the form of food and provision and hospitality, a cooked meal, protection towards Ruth. These are the ways that began to break into the darkness for Naomi. That's what's visible of the hesed that we've seen. But there's also things that are unseen here. And I want us to be reminded of this because in the midst of our darkness, right, whatever you're going through, it's not always true that we experience the visible hesed like protection and provision and hospitality. We're not given people in our lives like Ruth or Boaz to be able to shed light into our darkness. Sometimes we don't have any of it. And we're just stand, stranded in the darkness not knowing what to do. So sometimes the scene is not a reality for us in the midst of darkness. But why it's so important to see the unseen has said of God is because that will always be true. Though the visible night might not always be seen to us, the invisible, the unseen will always be true. And we need to look at what we see here as we play back this story one more time. We begin to see the hesed that is unseen. And there's two things we see. First, it's God's providence. And secondly, God's presence. God's providence. Look at verse 3. It's, it's, it's great how the storyteller writes this. So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Remember, Boaz was a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. So he's a relative. That's how we're introduced to him. And the way the storyteller writes this is that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And literally the way it's translated is as chance chanced, Ruth came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. 
or we would say as luck would have it, right? That's kind of the idiom that we would use as luck would have it, you know, this happened and this happened. And what the, the author of the storyteller is telling us is this drips with irony. As this author is telling us or inviting us to see that this wasn't luck at all. It wasn't chance. This was all part of the plan of God and his eternal decrees. It was a divine appointment that brought Ruth to Boaz's field, a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. God's fingerprints were all over Naomi and Ruth's life. This is the providence. This is the hesed that is unseen to Naomi. We live in a broken world where still, sin still exists and there is darkness. But as we have seen all throughout the Bible and in our world, God takes evil schemes and brings redemption and restore, restoration to his beloved creation, doesn't he? And this is what is not seen. We can't see God's providence tangibly. We don't know it. There's so much uncertainty about what the future will bring. And it's hard to see the light in the darkness. But we must. We must remember God's providence. We must remember that God is in control and that he is in control of all things. That God works for the good of those who love and who have been called according to his purpose. We must strain our eyes. We must squint. We must focus. We need to take out our readers or our gospel lenses. And we have to see that God is sovereign and he is in control and he is providential. Much like he was to Ruth and to Naomi. That's the hesed that is unseen. But we also see God's presence that is unseen. There is no voice from heaven, right? There's no angelic beings that come down to provide for Naomi. There's only darkness and hopelessness and resignation. But notice what Boaz sees. He sees the presence of God all over Naomi and Ruth's dark, dark life. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, God can be silent. God can be invisible where you feel like he has left you and abandoned you in the dark. And Naomi feels that. But what Boaz sees is he sees the Lord's hand Specifically, his wings over Naomi and Ruth. In the midst of the darkness, when we can't see anything, do we believe that God's wings are sheltering you? This was an image that was very, very understandable to God's people. God was that eagle who would cover his people, his children, with his wings. And it wasn't just for comfort or, or for like a mother to a daughter. This was this image of like, Things just pelting and harming and, and rain and hail and storms coming upon God's people. And this was the image of God's wings, strong right hand, his wings covering his people to protect them against the evil and darkness of this world. And Boaz sees God's has said his presence to Naomi and Ruth. And the question for us is, do we see God's presence 
Do we believe in God's presence in our lives? Carolyn Custis James, who wrote a commentary on Ruth, said this, Awareness of God's unfailing hesed for Naomi breathes new life into her grieving soul. Yahweh loves her after all. Although she's a zero in the eyes of the culture, although she has lost everything that might cause him to devalue her, although her life has been reduced to rubble and her future is destroyed, Yahweh is not finished with Naomi yet. You see, when things are un... When things aren't provided for us in the midst of the darkness, we have to believe and trust that the unseen has said of God, His providence, that He is in control, that He works out all things for the good of those who love Him, and that His presence is with us always, even when we don't have that blue light flickering to guide us along the way. So what do we do? What do we do when we are in the darkness and we can't see anything? Just two things, I think, as we think about Ruth, as we think about Boaz. With Ruth, we are to request with confidence. Request with confidence. Naomi is resigned. She tells, as, as Ruth says, I'm, can I go and glean in someone's field so that we can have something to eat just today? <laughs> what does Naomi say? She says, Go, my daughter. And all the scholars say, those, those two words in the Hebrew are just basically her have being completely hopeless. But what do we see in return? She, Ruth, brings back 29 pounds. 29 pounds of barley. Do you know what a normal person would glean in one day in the harvest field? One to two pounds. She brought a two weeks worth of food and cooked food that Boaz had cooked for Naomi. I think sometimes we are often too resigned. And like Ruth, we need to request with confidence. One scholar said Boaz's kindness was in fact a response to Ruth's initiative. She had drawn him into her story, not vice versa. And that's beautiful. It was her audacity, her tenaciousness, and in that dark place, she could have been resigned like Naomi. But are we able to see God's province? Are we able to see God's presence to be able to ask such audacious requests? It could be people in your life. It could be a community. It could be asking for prayer. It could be specific needs. But are we willing to go to people with audacious requests like Ruth? But secondly, as we look at Boaz, we're called to return with generosity. We're called to be people who are generous. In verse 20, there's a lot of, lot of talk about what does this actually mean because this is what Naomi says when she sees the 29 pounds of barley that is brought back. May he, Naomi says, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now here's a question. Whose kindness? Is it Boaz's kindness or is it um, God's kindness. It's totally vague. But I think they leave it vague for the purpose that it is both. And in essence, God uses Boaz. Boaz becomes the means to bring hesed to others who are actually going through dark periods in their lives. Are we those kinds of people? 
who are able to bring hesed to others because of the hesed that we have received. And this is precisely what God has done for us, hasn't he? God could have just in mere duty and obligation said, okay, I'm going to send prophets, I'm going to send priests, I'm going to send kings, I'm going to send people to try to make things right to address your sin. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. I've done everything I can. That is the mere duty and obligation that I have as God. But in God's said, what does he do? He goes beyond duty. Boaz went beyond duty and obligation. He could have just let her glean as everyone else, but he goes beyond. And God goes beyond because he sends his own son to suffer and die for us so that we might be made right in our relationship with God. And that is the hope that we have, that no matter what darkness we experience, we have the hesed love of God that pours out into our lives. And that's what this table is. Right here, this table is God's hesed for us. Through Christ's death, on the cross, his body given for us, his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sin. As we receive his hesed, we can then go out and show that hesed to others. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your hesed for us, that you went beyond just mere duty and obligation, but you gave your own one and only Son to die for us, so that we may be right with you. That in the place of darkness where we cannot see your presence, Lord, you reminded us that you are always with us to the very end of the age. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to the table now, strengthen us. May this be the light that we need to be able to press on just one more day, one more week, to be reminded that you are always with us, that you provide for us, you care for us, there's no greater example than what you have done for, for us here at the table. May you strengthen us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.